Hello and welcome back to the Lightfoot Podcast. This week, Aaron and I delve into some shadow work together before exploring how our Western culture seems perfectly engineered to avoid facing its own darker sides. Aaron outlines his relationship to Jungian psychology and shares some of what he's learned in his process interviewing a series of leading thinkers in that world. We discuss the huge potential and giant pitfalls of approaching shadow work in the context of the sense-making web and also touch on how difficult it is to dedicate oneself to the spirit of truth and not end up in sticky situations because of it. Aaron has a keen and broad mind, and this conversation left me feeling connected and inspired. So without further ado, I bring you Aaron Rogerson. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. It's lovely to be here with you. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah. Firstly, and arguably most importantly, I want to ask you, how did you get such a deep and calming voice? Were you born with it? Did you train it that way? Is it some kind of mouthwash that you use? Let me into your secrets, please. Now, this is a good place to start, actually. Um, My voice is very polarizing. And uh, just this morning, I got another YouTube comment where someone... uh, said that I don't talk so well and that listening to me is annoying. Uh, and other people who have said things like your voice is sexy and I like it. It's very calming. Um, so it's polarizing in a way that I find very strange, but I would say it's related to shadow because I think the way I talk is actually it's unconscious. That's for sure. But I think it actually is kind of related to anxiety and maybe even a kind of trauma because there's a way in which my voice tends to dive when I talk and it goes sort of unnaturally low in a way that I don't seem to be aware of. Um, So from my perspective, I sound, my pitch is pretty normal. And from other people's perspective, my pitch is quite low Mm. and uh, yeah, it's an anxiety thing. So something, something that I've had to work with over time, I actually did go to speech therapy for a while when I was a kid. Uh, So I've always had a weird relationship with my voice but people tend to view it as uh, at the very least as being unique. And I think that's a gift. Mm. So Beautiful. Uh, I love how quickly we've delved into the heart of, for me, the metaphor of the shadow and this idea that for you, that is something that has had a bit of a history of, you know, potentially challenge or having to work on for me lands as this resonant, beautiful experience that I'm now not surprised to discover has a backstory of you coming to terms with and integrating a part of yourself. And I think, yeah, what a lovely way to start to dis- to, to talk about the shadow because it's challenging sometimes and it can be easy to forget that on the other side of doing this work, there really, there really is treasure. So I'm going to go as far to say that I think your voice is a manifestation of the golden shadow, Aaron. And um, yeah, I enjoy hearing it. It makes me feel (laughs) peaceful. I think there's a sexy quality to it as well. And it's, um, yeah, it's calming and it's thoughtful. So that's how it lands with me anyway. That's good. That's good to hear. I I like the phrasing that my voice is a manifestation of the golden shadow. And uh, in many ways, I think my whole being is kind of a golden shadow thing. So uh yeah. Um, a lot of my life has been about uh, lots of darkness and lots of diving into that darkness and kind of bringing it to the surface and 
having a strong affinity for light, I guess you could say both in functional ways and dysfunctional ways. Like, um, I'm interested in truth. Like I'm interested in what's real. That's always been like a, a big part of me. And then there's the, kind of like that philosopher sort of personality of like, I want to know like what's real. I want to know what's mm-hmm. like really going on. And that's powerful. But at the same time, I've had a lot of social issues because of my affinity for, you know, quote unquote truth. People think I'm too blunt, too honest, too direct, too assertive. Um, they think my energy is a little hot mm. a lot of the time. So there's very much this, this strange uh, trade-off with um, wanting to integrate shadow, you might say, but also having to uh, find a balance point where some shadow needs to be accepted in the social setting for sure. Mm. Um, and that's been an interesting thing to come, come to terms with. And I'm sure we will unpack that a little more in this conversation. Yes. Gosh, I love that. We definitely will, but I almost want to, I almost want to name it uh, like the, the shadow genie coefficient or something like that, that like, what is the socially acceptable or not socially acceptable, but like optimal or healthy levels of shadow that, that you leave in a situation? Because I think right. you and I have both been kind of shadow warriors shadow hunters at different points and you get a taste for it it's kind of like whoa you want to go into all of it because it's fascinating and it's also uh, freeing once you can move through those aspects but then yeah you do experience this pushback and there is a risk that you 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 become intolerant of shadow rather than seeing it as a ever-present aspect of all relationships and even something to be honored and kind of nodded at and maybe not even looked directly at all the time, but like given a bit of space to be in the shadow, as it were, to to kind of uh, enrich and enliven and add nuance to any kind of interaction. Yeah, it's uh, it seems paradoxical at first, I think, when you, you encounter this idea um, that maybe some shadow is okay mm. and maybe some shadow is actually good because um, that seems like the wrong idea, right? The shadow is evil or the shadow is bad or it's something that needs to be purged. Let's exterminate it, get rid of it. Um, and that's a good instinct in some ways, but at the same time, uh, you need shadow in relationships sometimes. And uh, there's people that you meet that you don't actually really want to fully divulge with to fully reveal, to fully connect. Um, intimacy is saved for, you know, a select group of people in your life. And for the rest of the people you encounter, there's going to be shadow and maybe that's okay. And so that's the strange paradox. And uh, I think it can manifest in all these multiplicities on multiple levels in your life and in society. And uh, that's what's so exhilarating, I think, about learning about the shadow and trying to recognize it in the world is like the ways in which it's everywhere and nowhere and the ways in which it sort of, uh, can explain the dynamics that we see in our lives, our romantic relationships, our friendships, uh, with our parents, you know, and also within society as a whole, very complex, very interesting and very important, I think. Mm, Yeah, definitely. I wanted to, um, I want to hear a little bit more about your, when, when did your journey with shadow working 
with the shadow begin? When when would it when did you formally realize that like, oh okay, I'm I'm into this concept, these ideas. Um was it first coming in contact with Jung or yeah, tell me about that. Well, the shadow has been something that I've had an instinct for from a very young age, as I said. So I, I feel like I have a long history of engaging with what I perceive to be um, the unspoken or the unseen or the implicit, you know, the kind of instinct of like, why is nobody talking about this? We should mm-hmm. all be talking about this. You know, there's an elephant in the room. Why are we not addressing it? Why aren't people communicating? Um, why is it not okay to talk about this thing? You know, mm-hmm. there's this kind of perception that I think a lot of kids have often of like, the world feels like it's inauthentic. It feels like people are phony. Uh, it feels like nothing's real. You know, that's a perception of shadow. That's the feeling that there's something that we're not talking about that's there, something that we don't want to admit, something that we don't want to recognize. But formally, let's say, the actual concept of the shadow itself and specifically uh, Yun's notion of the shadow was something that was introduced to me by Alyssa who is my podcast partner. And she's definitely the more, I would say, focused, sort of more like um, academic side of our duo. She was reading a lot of Jung. She's really into Jungian psychology in general, and um, she's very well read. I'm kind of more uh, a strange artist who shoots from the hip and doesn't fit in and doesn't like sticking with any one lineage or even any one art form or any practice. Uh, I have a very kind of like synthesizing personality of like wanting to have my, you know, my thumb in every pie or my hand in every pot and kind of just um, coming from some place where Yun was not something I was really investigating until she uh, laid it out in front of me. And that's right about when we started this podcast was, Ah, the shadow. Okay, that's that's a good word for it. That's a good metaphor. I like that. And then Yun has this idea of the shadow. And I looked into it and I was like, this is exactly what I've been talking about my entire life. And look, there's all this literature on it. Um, there's this world of conversations and ideas that are actually about this thing that I've been really focused on most of my life. So that was about two years ago that I really, really started thinking about the shadow uh, explicitly, what is shadow work? What are the actual traditions of it? And how might we communicate this better to people so they can understand it and get started on these things? And that's what the project has been so far. Awesome. Shout out to Alyssa, who I'm looking forward to also having on the podcast. I've learned that the one-on-one uh, dialogue tends to be where I, I feel most expansive. But you guys are a wonderful duo and i want to shout out your podcast the golden shadow it's it's wonderful you guys balance each other in a really wonderful way and um yeah it's such a deep resource of of just yeah great podcasts on so many different ideas um really encourage everyone to check that out also to check out the series of videos you've done on the stoa together now on rebel wisdom um yeah, it's amazing. It's 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 really potent work, and I'm really grateful to uh, be in conversation with you now about it, and to have connected with you both because I don't know. It just feels like you're you, you're playing this role where you're uh, 
filtering, being a conduit for this big, big pantheon of ideas that stretch back through archaeology and mythology and psychology, and it can be hard to get a grip. I've, I've tried to read Jung many times over the years, and I've you know succeeded a little bit, but I've never felt like I've absorbed the whole thing until through you guys. It's really landed over the last six or seven months. I've been on my own process with that, and so I'm grateful for that and thankful. Yeah. And Well, thanks for the kind words. Yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it's working, yeah. at least for someone. And most excited now about like, all right, here's an interesting idea I want to get into with you. Like the continuation on of this practice, not the like sort of archaeology of of Jung and who he was and what that's about, but how to like quickly get up to speed with what shadow work is so we can understand it in this context and continue the discussion and make sense of it in our lives. And that's what I feel uh, I'm most excited about in this kind of sense-making web focus that we have on the shadow of like, okay, we're getting across the ideas. I feel like you and Alyssa have laid out really in wonderful digestible manner that the you know, the basics of, and now it's like, how do we make it relevant and where do we want to go with it from here? Yeah. Well, you know, the goal of our projects and it's not even really a conscious goal at first, just kind of the way it it worked out, but, uh, you know, we want these things to be accessible and, uh, there are gatekeepers, to some of these ideas, people mm-hmm. who have spent years in school uh, learning about it, who really want to say we're the authorities and no one else has any grounds to speak about these topics. And we've encountered that so far. Honestly, we've had it. We've had a few people say, who are you guys? You know, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not young analysts. You don't have the right to talk about these things. And that's, it really illustrates the problem is that <laughs> these ideas are not accessible and they're important. Um, but they're not accessible because a lot of people aren't putting in an effort to make them accessible. Uh, but also the concepts are just difficult. I, I don't, I don't read Yun, uh, and use that as my main source of dealing with this. I have to kind of approach it from a sort of consilience method where you like take on a lot of, a lot of different perspectives. You see the way you see the ways in which this is being talked about in different lineages from different philosophers, and you try to hone it down to something really, really basic, right? Because when it's basic, it's useful. And um, Alyssa and I also just because we're learning about it as we go, you know, it's the podcast is like explore with us yeah. because we don't really know what we're talking about. You don't either, so we can explore it together. Like, join us <laughs> on this journey of learning. Uh, and you know, we're not afraid to be wrong and we have been wrong. You know, there's, there's some ideas that we talked about and it's like, oh, I guess, you know, we didn't actually understand that very well. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Right. Cause we learned something and the audience learned something. So, um, that's what's tough about this, but that's, that's where the work starts is like, how can you break this down into a way that people can get started and make sense of it? And, you know, as I said before, I think that everyone actually already understands what the shadow is. They just don't realize it. And then once you phrase it to them, they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I know that. It's, it's the unknown. It's the unseen. Mm. Uh, it's that, that realm where we don't go because we're afraid to go there or it's inappropriate 
or it's too painful. And I feel it everywhere because, you know, the world's full of shadow. Um, so you have to, you have to start with the most basic ideas, which is the shadow on a personal level is the me I cannot see. It's, it's what we don't know about ourselves. It's what we haven't explored yet, or it might be something we've actually repressed something that we used to have a version of ourselves that we used to be in touch with that we banished. We said, you don't belong anymore. Maybe because you're too weak, maybe because, um, it's too unsafe for you to come out, but the shadow can be any and all those things, the unknown self. So that's a good place to start, right? People know what that means. And they're like, okay, I kind of, I kind of get that. And then the question is, okay, so what do you do with that? And that's complicated. Drugs, disassociate, run as fast as you can. Um, as you were that's saying one, that. One solution. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking like there's maybe these two. It's kind of, it's the unknown. It's the me you cannot see, right? But maybe there's, there's two aspects, at least to the personal shadow, because there's like, mm-hmm. have you have you mapped like how much of it is mapped? If you think of it as this unknown darkness and then in certain moments, certain contexts, you can see parts of it, you get a sense of it, but then it might return back to the shadow. So I'm getting this sense of like, I think potentially it might be possible to even have a rough contour map of most of your shadow, but then slowly it's like, how much of that do you integrate in the fact that how much of it stays in the light as it were? So yeah. What do you think about that? Well, you can, you can interact with the shadow really easily, right? And, uh, it doesn't take much. And, you know, one of the simplest ways is, uh, you can take a video of yourself talking or uh you can listen to a voicemail that's from yourself and you know you can hear your own voice and some people hear their own voice and they're like that's what i sound like i sound like that or that's what i look like man i look i look like an idiot you know these these are confrontations with the unknown you think you know who you are and then you're confronted with a moment of like oh (laughs) i don't know who i am um, and yeah, that can get a little more extreme. Uh, you can find yourself getting too drunk one night and you do something that's really, you know, supposedly uncharacteristic of you. Like maybe you get in a fight, maybe you say something to someone that's really, really inappropriate. Um, all kinds of things could happen when you're in an altered state and you might have to confront of, you know, how is that me? Why would I do that? Why, what's inside of me that's coming out there? Um, and that can be the identity crisis, right? Is mm. I don't actually know who I am or there's a part of me I don't, don't understand. Um, and that can be terrifying, if not one of the most terrifying things. You know, this sort of warping of your reality mm. is really what horror is, right? When you, when you think, I'm not actually in touch with reality, that's freaky. That scares people. And the instinct is to just turn away from it and say, well, well, <laughs> never mind. That's, that's not, I don't know what that was, but it was just a fluke and I'm just not going to think about it ever again. And that's, that's what we do with a lot of our experiences. We just kind of turn away from them 
and mm. say, I don't know what that was, but I'm not going to think about it because I, I don't want to confront whatever that was. Um, but externalization, I think, is probably the most basic way of getting in touch with the shadow, mm. which is like when your subjective experience is happening, you have a certain relationship with your reality. But when things become sort of from a third person, like when you hear yourself a voicemail that you mm. left, that's going outside your subject subjectivity. When you see a video of yourself, that's again from like a third person perspective. Um, and you can get more intentional about this, like with journaling, for instance, right? You write a bunch of journal entries and you just let it flow. You just let the unconscious spill forth and you just write all this stuff and you read it back and you say, I sound like a crazy person or I sound like a really sad person. That's what I find a lot is when I journal is I read back on my journals and I say, I sound really, really depressed. Hmm. And I have to confront that because if someone asked me if I was depressed, I would say, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Things are good. <laughs> but you externalize in a different way. You journal and you kind of, you know, you have to be really sort of free flowing and honest in your journaling for it to work. But you're confronted with looking at yourself as an object, right? Instead of as a subject. And you see the object of Aaron, let's say. Here's this journal entry from Aaron, this weird guy that, you know, he, he's not me. He's someone else right now that I'm looking at. And guess what? He looks like he's fucking depressed. Mm. He looks like he's really sad. And that externalization is a really easy way to get in touch with the shadow. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of externalizations you can do. You can journal. Um, you can write down your dreams, for instance, your dreams are kind of like a different form of like spilling forth of the unconscious. And you can look at your dreams and be like, why am I dreaming about murdering people? Hmm, that's weird. Should probably, you know, look into that. Um, you can have conversations with people who know you and say, you know, do you think I'm like doing well? Do you think there's something I need to work on? Is there some ways in which I'm inappropriate? Like be honest with me, you know, that's externalization. Um, there's there's all, all kinds of strategies for this that you you set up mirrors and those mirrors can reflect your image back to you mm. and you can say oh that's a side of me that i didn't know was there and that's how you map out the shadow yeah it strikes me that our culture is almost perfectly adept at helping people not do that process like there's kind of this huge distraction, entertainment, busyness, momentum that's been just building and building that it's still such a rude shock when we are presented with that, when we're not ready for it. And yeah, just broadly taking a meta analysis of at least, you know, the modern Western culture that I, I'm, we're a part of, there's just, there seems to be a really large gap. And we've joked about trying to make shadow work cool. And I think that's something that we both share in common because, yeah, it seems to just be such a, a necessary part of the transformation that we seem to need to go on as a species to be able to have that reflection. And it, it sounds like a simple thing, but it's very scary and overwhelming for, for us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can see that, you know, when you try to force people to confront their shadow, it doesn't work. And you just, you, you freak people out, you alienate them, yeah. you push them away from you. And, mm -hmm. uh, I'm great at that. 
Yeah, right. Me too. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can experience that pretty easily is that, you know, you can, you can take someone that you're friends with and you can go up and say, just say what you really think of them or, or say something that you think they should think about that they're not thinking about and see what happens when you do that. And more often than not, that person's going to get annoyed with you yeah. or they might get more than annoyed. They might get really angry. They might stop talking to you. Yeah. And you have to wonder, okay, that's strange, right? Because this is useful information. Um, but you do begin to see it everywhere and collectively that the kind of social system we have, and this is delicate, right? In some ways, it's set up to avoid shadow. In other ways, the only way it can work maybe is to avoid shadow. Yeah, You know, maybe people can only actually play nice with each other if they don't say what they really think yes and that's a difficult question again mm -hmm. and it comes back to the you know the question of how much shadow is necessary and what's the minimum viable shadow we have to deal with in order for things to function and that's a difficult question it gets pretty heavy as well because i mean this is my narrative belief structure at the moment and maybe it's not right and i could evolve it but I tend to see civilization as kind of, uh, you know, the 7,000 year experiment of, of sweeping shadow under the rug. I have this conception of the tribal experiences. It's very difficult to hide the shadow because there's so much less privacy and there's much more immediacy and there's much deeper relational connections just based on survival. So once that kind of fragments a bit with civilization it's this sweeping under the rug it's this very clever system as you say of like that only can perpetuate by not directly looking at it but then periodically it's released in war and 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 battle and we've seen it in the last few hundred years in these world wars yeah and it doesn't seem like the most ideal system and it's ratcheting up and as our weapons get more intense and as there's more of us there's more condensed shadow energy yeah that's not really the best system i think we're kind of pointing at what schmachtenberg is pointing out with the you know consilience project and all that of like well this doesn't work out so well if we just keep operating that same cycle so yeah this quickly uh becomes less of a fascination and a hobby with you know jungian archetypes and the joyous exploration of the esoteric and becomes an immediate political kind of imperative i feel of like how do we start to own this in ourselves in our relationships in our communities in our nations in our cultures so yeah 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 i agree with you um and you know the, the point about uh what would it be like in a tribal setting um is really important to think about and i think you know it's important to think about for any topic at all because the tribal setting is sort of like default place of human nature sort of being calibrated to, uh, you know, small group of people, maybe 50 people, that'd be a lot, but you know, maybe around 50 people, uh, not only are you in such close quarters and it's so intimate that you can't really hide too much, but you can't even afford to, you know, because in a tribal setting, like survival is really at the forefront and you can't afford to not communicate with each other. You yeah. can't afford to hide things really. You can't afford to uh, be operating in secret about things because the tribe will just die, you know? So 
that's what we're built for. We're built for a, a small group where everyone knows each other extremely well. Everyone is essentially family. Um, and they're all sort of brought together under this, this talos of survival. Hmm. Um, and civilization is the kind of uh, gradual dispersing of that system. And everything goes haywire, right? Yeah. When you're forced, well, forced is a strong word, but when you're sort of thrown into the world in 2020 and you live this strange life where you are in maybe, maybe you're in San Francisco, like I've been, and you're just surrounded by all these people and there's all these people that like you meet, but you'll never really get to know and you don't need to know them and you're not trying to survive together. You're just passing by, um, all these patterns kind of like get out of whack and you get into these strange sort of situations where like, it's not clear you want to be closer to people. You want to be intimate, but that doesn't work for some reason a lot of the time. And, uh, you want to build lives with people. You want to be a one tribe kind of, you have that instinct. It's, it's there. It's so strong, but it doesn't seem to function very well. And everyone kind of needs to settle for not really knowing each other, not really integrating much shadow collective way, not really, you know, dipping your toes into anything that's dark or difficult and just settle for like everyone kind of is full of shadow. We all have shadow. The world is full of it. We kind of just need to settle for it. And that's that. Hmm. And that's, that's frustrating. That's cynical. Right. But that's kind of, yeah, the reality we're living in where we're at. Yeah. It strikes me that there's like maybe two forms of shadow work as well. Right. There's like conscious shadow work and unconscious shadow work. And I think what we're pointing towards is, you know, communities of conscious shadow work as a really powerful transformational technology that we mm-hmm. should be a- applying. But then if you look at our civilization, it seems like alcohol in particular plays the role of unconscious shadow work of like yeah. getting males in touch with their feelings, for example, letting out a lot of anger and sadness. And it kind of, yeah, we just got this second rate tool that we're using, which does the job, but or keeps us in that... We, we never really break out. We never really individuate. We kind of just keep ourselves a bit numbed and disassociated and repeating the same cycles, which sounds like a particular version of hell to me, really, if, if I'm yeah. honest about it. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's what I see if I look around. I agree. I agree. It is kind of hellish. And that's that's part of the shadow right there, right? It's like you actually, you actually look into what's happening in people's lives, in your own life, and you see hell. <laughs> yes. And that's scary. And mm-hmm. you, you don't want to really accept that. You don't want to say, Oh yeah, I live in hell. Like we all live in hell. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't want to confront that, but there is, there is some truth to it. Hell is a strong word, but it is true that people are suffering in enormous ways. Even people who have tons of wealth and they're safe and they have food and water and they live in nice houses. Even those people are suffering like crazy and we don't know how to talk about it and we don't know what to do about it. Um, and it's very sad <sighs> and you know, you can confront that and you can confront that and it's scary and you say, Oh, oh God, this is like some like weird dystopian nightmare. Let's do something about it. And you get really inspired to kind of be like, let's all talk about our suffering. Let's all accept each other as being broken and hurt and traumatized and say that this kind of glossy sheen that we all put on isn't real. Everything's fucked up. I'm fucked up. You're fucked up. We're all fucked up. You know, 
you can get inspired to be like, let's do that. Let's, let's all just let it out there and just admit that we're all unhappy and things don't work right and we want yes. to do better. Um, but you find that you're probably alone in that. <laughs> yes. You know? And so you can be like me and maybe you can be like you, it sounds like, and you can walk around and you can say, hey, you, you're suffering. And you, and you, yes. and, and people don't like that. They don't. They say, excuse me, what are, you, what are you saying? Are you saying that like my, I'm not living my life properly? And it's like, not exactly, but kind of, yes, that's what I'm saying. And they're like, well, fuck you. Like, fuck off. I don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, yeah. I want to have fun. I want to feel good. Yeah. I would, I would like you more if you would come to me and say, let's have a good time. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like having a good time is good, but like a better time would be healing all of our trauma, don't you think? Wouldn't that be the best time? Best time. But most I've, people, I've gotten you know. sneaky with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm okay. like, come, come, join the community. We'll we'll make music and uh, we'll dance together and we'll spend time in nature and we'll cuddle and we'll support each other. And then secretly we'll be doing a whole lot of shadow work and you'll be finding out about all the trauma we've got. But then it'll be right. fantastic after that. And so I've got yeah. this like sneaky one-two thing going on. But broadly... I want to talk to you about something I'm feeling right now because I'm I'm okay. so glad you mentioned this concept of uh, being broken because mm-hmm. I have come to terms after having our community fall apart a year ago in, you know, really fracturous disagreement that was yeah. group shadow work, which I want to come back to because I want to talk to group shadow work. But just mm-hmm. I've been on my own. Well, a lot of us have. COVID by ourselves, a lot of things have fallen apart. I've really been able to see the depths of the shadow inside of myself. And I'm really grateful for that. And having, I've had one or two people in my life that have really been able to do that with me and go into it together. Mm-hmm. And I feel so enthusiastic about sharing that, uh, this kinship of what you can experience when you're brave enough. Like it sounds like you and Alyssa have had that. This for sure. Is, yeah. Oh, it's priceless and it's beautiful. And it turns a difficult journey into a really sacred and incredible thing. Um, that's led me to this place of being comfortable with being like, wow, I'm broken. We're all broken. The culture's broken and really comfortable with that language and trauma mm-hmm. and man, we're fucked up. And that doesn't, I don't lose hope in that. Cause for me, that's the beginning of the healing and that's, uh, how we get started and moving in the new direction. But actually it was our mutual friend, Peter Lindbergh. I remember in one of our early clubhouse sessions who was like, he didn't like that. He, he was like, no, I choose not to look at myself and others is being broken and I can vibe with that and I can see the truth in that because I'm now really experimenting with mindset NLP positive visualization uh reframing realities while also looking at shadow work and I just want to point to this delicious tension that I've got going on that I haven't quite figured out yet of how to do both which feel like these different whole opposites of really seeing everything as regenerative and okay and powerful and even Arnold Schwarzenegger-esque of like it's all good and you know, keep going yeah and then but then also really like you know Gabor Mate kind of just like broken trauma shaman truth which is like healing and and yeah there's something in those two positions which are really hard to reconcile but I think if we can yeah. do that that's whoa, powerful yeah yeah and that's in it's it's interesting because there is sort of the tension between the two mm. and uh, you can go too far in either direction for sure. But, you know, I think uh, toxic positivity is a real thing. Yep. And I think our, 
our culture is is pretty sick like with our culture is toxic in that way it's toxic in a lot of ways i don't want to downplay other ways in which the culture is toxic but people are overly positive they are they are way too quick to say things are fine we're all good nothing needs to change i'm fine i'm not suffering i'm not sick uh i don't need any sort of like therapy uh i don't need any help even i don't need any help at all like you know like that's actually a lot of people say that that's kind of the go-to thing um and within social scenes the culture of an a group of people who are friends is for the most part i think is like let's have fun let's do well we're all happy right we're all happy and we're good and life is great and the sun is shining and everything's great and that can get toxic that can get to the point where it's like well you're just <laughs> you're avoiding all this darkness you're ignoring all these things that are wrong and there's actually room for improvement there really is and that's that's where the shadow is important i think is it's just to acknowledge we can do better and th- that doesn't mean like toughen up and be more of a man you know like that's that can be kind of the opposite of what you want it can be more kind of like we can heal we yeah. can actually change things uh we can create a better culture we can create a better social scene we can have better relationships with each other uh you know we can stop hurting each other <laughs> like all yeah. those things are possible and that requires some negativity that requires saying things are bad right but that's in favor of having positivity of saying but we can do good and so I think there, there is a tension there that's important. Um, and just, you know, the flip side of, of toxic positivity can be that some people are overly cynical and some people um, really, and this is, this is true, especially for a lot of men that I've encountered, mm-hmm. a lot of young men especially, but a lot of men never grow out of this. They're total nihilists. Yeah. And they just think everything's bullshit, nothing matters, nothing works properly, and there's no hope. Hmm. And that's, that's, that's toxic negativity, right? It's like, yeah. well, no, come on, chill out, chill out. Like, it, you know, th- things are bad, but they're not that bad. Yeah. And, you know, especially when you get to the place of like sort of thinking like everything's pointless and meaningless, that's, that's, that's toxic. And so yeah. there's some place, there's a, there's some sort of dynamic, a reciprocal relationship you might say between hope and cynicism or positivity and negativity that needs to be straddled. And it's even kind of cyclical. Um, where I would say you can go from being positive and hopeful to actually having to admit, oh, actually this is, this doesn't work. Yeah. Always lost. And that death that like always lost kind of death, letting go and saying, well, this romantic relationship actually is over. Yeah. Letting go of it. That death is important for the rebirth to say, and now we rebuild and that requires hope, right? The rebirth is hope. So that's, that's kind of convoluted, but that's, that's the tension that I feel and it's hard to know when, which is appropriate. You know? hmm. They're both appropriate at the same time in a, in a weird way. That's how I would phrase it. Yeah. Hope and realness and the balance between the two. And yeah, I mean, I got shivers just while you were talking a bit. I, I recognize <laughs> this, like, I'm really grateful for connecting with people in this space. I realize the more time I spend with others, it seemed to have this, strangely real cynical hopeful integrative view i've got years of 
trauma of back catalog of not being able to have this voice expressed because i feel that those of us that are tuned into it have been tuned into it our whole lives and have had to go a really long time before we can find the courage or independence or peers with which to have the discussion around because it's you know i don't know it's just not welcome maybe some of us ended up with like you know, psychologists when we were teens who were like, oh, you're just a bit depressed and maybe you should reframe things. And the constant message was like, no, no, don't push against the status quo that everything's all right. That's not going to work for you. It's going to, that's going to hamper you. And they probably meant that from a place of well-being. Like, no, no, don't walk that path. Just sing the tune and succeed within those contexts. But you get to a point where, yeah, it's, it's time for it to come out. And um, yeah, it feels really potent. And I recognize how much tense energy is living in my body of, of feeling like I can't speak to the truth of what's going on. And to be honest, that's actually just getting harder and harder because as I accept that part of myself and I start to have conversations like this with you and I start to be like, oh, yeah, and really sink into that as a reality rather than just my own conception – my ability to see what I feel as truth increases and my desire to speak to that increases. But the people around me not, might not be and usually aren't on that same trajectory. And so, yeah, that gap actually widens in some ways. And I think you get used to it. You get a bit more used to it and, and you realize you don't always need to speak your piece in, in, in every context and but do you do you kind of know what I'm pointing to there? Of like, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, um, and and that's and that's the experience. And again, it's like it's another paradox, and life is full of these strange paradoxes. Mm. Um, you know, one way I would phrase it is that the more there's a few ways you could phrase it, but like the more you seek truth, let's mm. say. And truth in quotations, like I, I always want to be careful because I'm not saying like I possess the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's not really what I mean as much as like the spirit of truth is being pursued. Yeah, the more you really pursue the spirit of truth, like you yeah. really want what's real, you really want to shine light, and you really want to solve problems. I mean, that's where a lot of it comes from is wanting to solve problems, being practical. The more you do that, um, you know, the more you stare into the abyss, that changes you. Um, the more you lift yourself up, that, that changes you, uh, the more you grow, the more you transform. And as we transform, we often find that those around us aren't transforming with us. Hmm. They're not coming with us in this transformation. And that can be really tough. And, you know, your instinct is usually, and my, inst my instinct has been for sure is saying, come with me, yeah. come on guys, come with me on the journey. What's transformed together. Or that's love, this, right? That's love. Yeah. yeah. And like, here's all this beautiful light I've found. And I want to share the light with you here. Mm. You can have some light. And uh, let's, let's go together as a tribe towards the good, yeah. the better, the beautiful. Um, but if you do that, two things will happen for sure. One is that um, people won't like you shining light on them at all in the first place. You know, you saying, hey, let's let's do this beautiful thing or let's transform. A lot of people don't want to be pushed at all. They just don't want to be rocked. And so like rocking the boat is something that happens when you transform without the people around you. Hmm. And that's that's tough. What do you do? Um, and 
I think the second thing that will happen is that you will just find yourself having less and less things in common with those around you. And then it's like, well, the only option really is for me to either revert back to who I was before, which is impossible now. I could still try, but it's pretty much impossible for me to actually become who I used to be or to say, well, I guess I'm leaving on my own, you know? And that's the path for, I think, anyone who is changing. Hmm. And you can change in all kinds of ways. And it's, it, you know, it's, we want to be careful enough to say there's, there's only one way to grow in life. There's only one path. There's only one transformation that everyone needs to go through. It's more just if you are, if you're becoming someone new, if you're uh, being reborn, almost always it's going to mean that you are going to go by yourself in some other direction. And that's really tough. And even in romantic relationships, this happens, right? Mm. Hopefully you and your partner are transforming together because that's life. <laughs> yeah. If you don't change, life will fuck you up. Basically, you have to roll with the punches. And usually yeah. romantic partners, if they stay together, they're going to transform together. They have to. But often romantic partners won't transform together and they break up because one of us is changing and you're not or we're changing in different directions. Um and that's what's tough about this is uh, shadow integration, right? Hmm. That is something that's going to change you. You're going to transform. You're going to individuate, as Yun would say. And, individu and individuate is a good word because it probably means you're going to be lonely. <laughs> you're yeah. going to become more of an individual and you're going to be less of a tribesman. Yeah. And that sucks. You don't want that. So it's like, well the whole tribe will individuate together and you have yeah. like this, this great master plan. But we find, I think in modern day at least that doesn't seem to happen and that you can't really get your entire social scene to transform with you at the same time. It's very, very difficult. It can happen, but I kind of feel like there's just so many factors that prevent it from happening. So here we are like it gets a little meta here because we are both kind of living examples of, of what we're talking about here. I, I like to frame it as like, that's a chrysalis, that period of individuation, that loneliness, that casting off is like, and there'll probably be multiple cycles of this throughout life. If, if you're For lucky. sure. It's happened to me and I'm grateful. I'm in another one right now. Yeah. That is the preparation period to be able to be, the tribesmen, like the, there's these required periods of initiation and we're in a period with the internet. So this delves in. So if we, if we, if we realize that we've become people that uh, are really dedicated to the spirit of truth and we've decided that we're willing to go it on our own to some degree to, to, to hold true to that ideal. And hopefully we're not just assholes in this that <laughs> like, hopefully we are on that right path. We don't really know. It feels right to me. Yeah. Um, the, we have this yearning then for me, like, I don't want to just do shadow work with anyone. I want to do shadow work with people that are, uh, meta modern in their perspective and solar punk in their perspective. So a blend of those two things for me, which represents and neo tribal, I'll add another theme to that. And what that broadly means is a kind of developmental perspective with a, a hopeful, inclusive, joyous uh, vision of the future with a kind of eco-consciousness. And then the neo-tribal aspect is the embodiment and the connection to maybe some conceptions of 
animism or other or the esoteric that doesn't just write it off and like reinvigorates with that ancestral lineage that takes us back millions of years. So I'm quite particular in that. And that's a small percentage of the world right now. And so we find ourselves in the sense-making web. Here we are, you and I. I feel that with you. I feel like a kinship with you. I feel a sense of someone that I like to go on that process with. But then you and Alyssa presented this really interesting uh, talk at the start of the third in your series of what are the limits of what kind of shadow work can happen online within the sense-making web. And you kind of you were pretty cautious. You were kind of like, yeah. this is a place to meet and greet. This is a place to do the intellectual work, but not really the space to actually do that processing. So where are you at with that tension and that bind of the magnetism to find the others that potentially could be the ones you want to do your shadow working with, but then also a cognizant of the limits of the tech and, and where that's at? Yeah, it's it, it depends on the context, and you know one of one of the ways I was thinking about this was through through the lens of the Stoa, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What's the Stoa exactly? Is it the sense making web? Mm. Not exactly. It's like a venue in the sense making web where people show up, kind of like a bar almost. People meet at the Stoa and they have a drink with each other, but they all go home afterwards. Yeah, or someone plays a show at the bar. And, you know, maybe that's what Alyssa and I did. We played a show at the Stoa. Hmm. People came to see us and then they went home afterwards. Hmm. And so when you're thinking about the possibilities, it's in some place like the Stoa. Hmm. Um, and for anyone who isn't familiar, who might be listening, the Stoa is essentially just a bunch of Zoom meetings where people- A come digital campfire talks. where we go here with ideas on the edge of the edge. It does sound like Peter. That- <laughs> sexy intensity. Um, But the Stoa is not a place in itself where I feel like shadow work can really happen on any level other than personal practice. Yeah. Because all it is is Zoom. And that's what's tough, right? So like, just like people going to a bar, it's like, you're not going to go to a bar and do shadow work, probably though we did talk about drinking alcohol as being a form of shadow work, but you know, maybe that's not the right analogy, but yeah, if, if, if you're online, you're disembodied, our bodies are not online. They, we can't really be present with each other in the same way that we could, if we were present in real life and we can't, there's limitations when you're not living in the same place. Mm. And this is what's tough is I, I think and it's like, I'm open to being wrong here, obviously, but, um, I am being cautious. And part of my caution is that like weird shit happens on the internet and people can get into strange interactions with strangers that they yeah. will never meet. And shadow work is a difficult thing that people should be careful about. There's, there's some predatory people out there. There's even some predatory gurus, I would say, who, who, who mean well, but they're actually just trying to make money mostly and they don't know what they're doing and they could actually cause a bunch of weird damage to people who are trying to who are vulnerable who are seeking help with their trauma and that's dangerous so it's like you do need to be cautious um but i don't think that the stoa is a place where people can really do shadow work other than meet up to study these theories together and then do it on their own um and the caveat to that i would say is that that doesn't mean that we can't meet people and develop deeper relationships with them through a place like the Stoa. And I've done that. 
I've developed deeper relationships with people that I met at the Stoa. Hmm. I have people who I could, would consider to be friends that I have never met, and I probably never will meet <laughs> for a lot of them. Um, and those relationships could get deeper. Um, we could meet up. We could actually live someplace nearby each other, and then for sure we could actually develop real relationships where we could actually be present together, and that could move towards sort of life building, which... I think is what we mean when we're talking about tribalism. Well, yeah. in, in not in, tribalism has a negative connotation, but but by being in a tribe together, building a yeah. tribe, um, you kind of need to be life building together, which means you share responsibility. Uh, you have to trust each other. You have to be vulnerable to each other. Um, there's things like, uh, you know, relying on each other for survival sharing living resources like housing or um you know relationships where you have children together hmm. or uh even incomes stuff like that it's like that's what a tribe is uh and that's where the real shadow work has to come in um is for situations like that but on the internet purely the internet this is tough you can meet people, but I don't know if the work can really be done on the internet unless you really know what you're doing. Two people with who are very skilled, like you and I, I think could actually probably do some serious shadow work over the internet. And it could work. But at the same time, we don't actually know each other. <laughs> We've never spent time together. Uh, there's so much of your history. I don't know. There's so much of my history you don't know. I don't know what your shadow is. You don't know what my shadow is. It would actually take a lot of investment to figure it out. And that's tough. You know? So, but, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this because it's, it's a complicated topic. And uh, it's these ideas, I think, are not necessarily set in stone for me. What do you think is possible as far as? Uh, you know, the meta tribe hmm. is it just an is it just an online thing? Hmm. Is there potential there for shadow work online, or are are you envisioning something different? Yes, I think about this a lot. I mean, firstly, I'll just bring you up to speed with most of my personal history. I, I got out of prison three months ago. I, I was I was sentenced for really uh, intense okay. white collar fraud when i was five years old so that's that's why the podcast had a gap it makes sense now. yeah <laughs> most of my wisdom comes from doing time and yeah like shadow it shows on the inside yeah it shows um, man so now we're up to speed i think you're very wise to have placed the caveats that you have and pointed towards the limitations first of what the shadow work sense making web and how that can unfold because our community, which was an in-person community, largely tore itself apart through shadow work on in a Facebook group. So I've seen how it can have very real world consequences if it's not done properly. So I'm, I'm kind of more than anyone aware of the downsides of that. But then also I've since experienced, I think just a more refined version of that of in a nutshell, Okay, so I'm with you that the lived experience is critical and that cannot be uh, replaced. And I am orienting myself towards a future of in-person neo-tribal community with a group of people probably that have found each other and may gravitate towards an area just because I think 
I'm already having that plan with different people. And I think that will increase over time. Uh, so that's exciting. And I look forward to that. And I think there's an interim space of internet connection done in small groups with people of a similar level of experience with this work that's done held in a very particular way that can be tr tremendously transformational that I've experienced this last year. I now know that it's possible. My deepest shadow work has actually all been done online and one-to-one okay. uh, -one, and then also in groups of uh, up to up to four. I used to be generous. I used to say six, then five. Now I'm saying four. And even I'm saying, I think I would class most of us as novice shadow workers generally in the culture. And because of that, I'd put us in groups of three because it's just this ideal, the smallest amount of <laughs> places that it can explode, but it still has that group energy. So I'm really enthused because what I'm finding and what I'm feeling actually to dedicate a lot of my energy and, and life force towards is cultivating this massive network of what I call pods, which are essentially little shadow work groups mm -hmm. of people um, online that have met through digital campfires and online spaces with the store, Rebel Wisdom. Yeah, and then you, you peel off in these little groups. And I think there's a space for that. And I, I actually think there's a... Even in a very beautiful uh, tribal physical context, I, I can still see myself holding space for that digital equivalent because you can really tune in to a particular type of person. You're not, you're not, you don't have your handcuffs with geography. You can really tap in with anyone, and that's just sure. so profound. And yeah, that's the power for sure. That you can't, you can't get that in real life. You can't get that off the internet. And so I agree. There's great potential for linking up with yeah. the right people that you can't expect to do. Even if you're in a huge city, you know, like Melbourne or yeah, San I am. Francisco, it, it's yeah. still like, it's difficult to meet people just in person who you're going to really connect with. So there is the power of linking up with other minds, which has happened and that's happened at the Stoa and it's been really powerful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. The, the limitations are still there. Yep. There's also uh, the opposite of limitations. Can't think of the right word. The, the, the caveats that I add, the, like the, what I think is required, mm -hmm. it's this embodiment piece, which we're all emerging into in deliciously different ways. It's very, you know, in the, in the ether right now. And it's, it's, it's real. Like, let me tap into it now while I'm here with you, like to be able to feel myself in my physical presence and connect in with you in your physical presence and bring a sense of conscious awareness to this interaction that is grounded. I think without that, internet shadow work doesn't have a chance. And the second one is a sense of conscientiousness because there's more room for miscommunication in messaging to set things up. And I think we need to be diligent and true and honest and real. And that in itself is difficult. And I think not many of us, I'm only just there where I feel myself to be a clear, integral, upfront communicator online and I haven't met many people that, that live up to my standards of that. And the ones that do, I can do the shadow work with. So it's actually this really easy filter to be like, 
how do I feel in this communication flow with messages? Is there a natural back and forth? Is there a respect and a clarity? And so that that's a useful shortcut to see, like, even there's some people I've met that I'm like, oh, I'm magnetized towards them. And I'm like, I would love to do deeper work with you. But I'm learning now that if there isn't that natural sense of flow and ease and what I'd classify largely as a sense of, of, of safety, that doesn't need to be like not edgy, but it's kind of like uh, an authenticity there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're necessary prerequisites that we're kind of training ourselves in a lot of us still. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the pods, the three-person pods you're talking mm-hmm. about, is something I'd be interested in hearing more about. I'm not sure if that's beyond the scope of this conversation. Oh yeah, we can go there. What do you how, how did you how did you set these up? Who who's the pool of people that you're finding to participate in this? Um, what was what is the initiation process? Because there has to be some sort of ground rules you put down. I'm, I'm imagining there has to be contingencies in place for like when things go wrong or get weird. Yeah. Um, so tell me about it. How, how, how have you yeah. structured this? It started in person in our community in Chiang Mai, mm. uh, in a hilariously over-optimistic, like I invited 14 people to be part of an in-person group. I was like, oh, I want to do it with that person and that person and that person. And it was magical, but it's self-destructed. Like it, it was intense and deep, but it tore itself apart. And the major takeaway lesson from that was that people were at different levels of commitment. That's what I've learned is the major blockage to shadow work is the different levels of commitment. And often that can be unconscious. People can say I'm committed and think that they are, but energetically not be on that same level. And that creates tension. Absolutely. So that was a big lesson. So that evolved. We did a few in-person versions in our community and most of the early ones were beautiful disasters until the point where they weren't, where we'd learned how to do it. So I've had the in-person experience and then taken that online largely through people I've encountered across the sense-making web, one or two people from my community in Chiang Mai that I knew, but uh, some of them are people I've never met in person. And yeah, just been casing them, getting a sense of it. And then uh, the meta village that I set up was largely a kind of honeypot to attract people to see like are they you know where are they who are they let's get a deeper sense of each other so that we can do this work together because i have a dream now of having this kind of meta collective of like i tend to i started at the collective level of about 150 people and then discovered pods afterwards if i was going the other way if I, i'd probably start with pods and grow into that but there's so much potency when you have like 150 people in a context because of what you can do with it but it's high level weightlifting and so now i tend to want to focus in on the pods but yeah broadly few people i know online set the context for it and here's the key you set small runs of it to begin with so you just do five or six weeks or even four weeks, and you just have that very low uh, threshold and you treat it like dating. And it's kind of like, how do we feel? This could be a disaster. Let's not make love straight away. Let's get to know each other a little bit. And um, then this understanding of composting things, of being okay. I feel so many of us, because of our nuclear family context and our friendship group context, 
it's so difficult to let go of a connection that you started, but getting used to being like, and that's over now. Let's kill it and compost it and see what shoots come anew. So they're, they're really important parts. Um, but now I treasure it. For me, uh, you can tell I'm very enthusiastic about this because it's a combination of co-coaching and co-therapy and getting coached and having therapy with people you really love and respect that you're doing the shadow work with. My goodness, it's, this, is, this is what I wish for everyone and myself ongoing. And I have it now and I want to spread it and uh, it, it lights me up and I'd like to do it outside of a paid context i'd like to do it in a way that is open source that is like here are the tools here are the contexts pass it on and this kind of network of pods unfolding and i see that as a massive catalyst for inner and outer cultural change yeah those those are some of the ideas i've had for just running groups in general mm -hmm. um Shadow work is a little more intense, but the, the same kind of questions come up in running, for instance, a men's group, which is still shadow work, but not as explicitly like let's get into the dark, deep, painful stuff immediately. But um, it's tough on the internet and uh, commitment, expectations, they're all off. Um, I agree. I don't want to paint and, it as too rosy and easy yet. Yeah. That's also been my experience. It's really yeah. challenging. Having, having a season, I would call that's, that's what I've been calling it. It's like having a season, like this is like season one, we're going to go for eight, eight weeks then we're done. And then if we want to go for season two, maybe we'll, you know, renew this group for season two, or maybe we won't. And yeah. that kind of having that understanding of an end to what we're doing right now is actually really powerful. Mm. Um, the same way that, you know, if, if you know that you and your girlfriend are going to break up because she's she's moving away to a different country, it's like your last two months together can just be fucking amazing because it's like we know what's happening. This is going to end, and like let's just have let's just do this now and be be here now. Uh, whereas if your relationship goes on forever, forever theoretically, you know, you can just have these weird questions like, what are we doing? Like, wh where is this going? What's the point? You know, what's going to happen? Uh, that great unknown of the indefinite future can be really uh, soul killing. So the idea of a season or, or a run, as you phrased it, I think is is important in my mind, at least. Um, There's a piece I want to zoom in on with you here, though, because this yeah, is sure. like the shadow work component. Because yeah. a, the, the pod for me, it's not purely shadow work. I mean, you can't always be, you know, going for the hard stuff, basically, because you need to kind of balance it out. That's where it gets difficult. And it's like that those moments when people, myself, we've committed. We're like, okay, part of this will be we're going to do group shadow work. We're going to reflect. So you, we've even set the context to be like that. But there's this natural pull of when it comes up of like, oh, we don't want to go there. Let's keep it friendly. Oh, isn't the banter really nice? And it's good to talk. And, and you're kind of around the edges. And I tend to play this role of like pinning people to it lovingly. I've gotten good at it over the years. But like... I love you. I'm leaning in now. Here's the shadow that I'm seeing in you right now coming up in the group. And it's this intense moment for them and for me because there's so much trust and vulnerability there. We're touching each other's. We're both connected to each other's tender core in that moment. And it's usually very effective in the moment. But then the residue afterwards of 
becoming a symbol of that person's shadow is what tends to happen. Mm. And that's a lot to carry. And unless the, yeah. the group is then disinfected or like burned magically, whatever metaphor you want to use to get rid of that residue, you carry it. And then that warps a friendship. So this strategy of getting deep with your friends and tribe into shadow work, unless you fix that, is actually a disaster because you end up slightly warping the, the the trust and joy and love that was there, even if it was based on slightly, let's not talk about the truth context that was also real and you can lose all of that. So they're high stakes. So I quite like the idea of connecting with you, for example, because we don't have that context, because what is there to lose if we do rub each other up the wrong way? It'll be like, okay, cool. Like see you in the store at some point, you know? So yeah. there's an upside to that. But what I wanted to ask you, your experience the shadow work component like how do we up our skills in that how do we increase our abilities so that we can have these group contexts that we're longing for um yeah it's it's a difficult question um a lot of what we just you know normally think of as increasing agency and sovereignty mm those things will work and it's, it's important to be sovereign. It's important to like have a high level of agency to engage with this properly. And that could mean all kinds of things. It could mean that you've uh, experienced a lot, you know, maybe you've been through a lot of very intense romantic relationships and that's painful and it can destroy you if you're not careful, but it also transforms you into someone who actually understands the intricacies and the darkness and the pain and the wounding that is really part of life. Um, so experience is just, you know, it's just one thing. Um, actually having spiritual practices, any kinds of spiritual practices at all, you know, mm -hmm. journaling, meditation, exercise, even like if you have a good exercise routine, like that's, that's important, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, if you can just take care of yourself, if you can be an independent person, all those things are important to kind of get started doing this with peers. Yeah. If you're not ready to do this with peers, if you're not a sovereign individual, um, you got to start somewhere else, which is more in the therapy or yeah. talking with a, a, a professional about these things and maybe working towards a place where you can actually handle your own shit. But that's, that's, that's really important. And that's something that, you know, you've kind of touched upon. It's like, you find often that if you, if you start to engage in like real conversations that they, they get into some of the, you know, the, the, the difficult experiences, the trauma, the weaknesses, the ways in which we are weak and broken, those conversations, some people think they're ready for that. And some people think that they can handle that, but they actually can't, they're not actually sovereign. They don't actually know what to do and it can be incredibly destructive. So I, I would say that there's, there's just experience. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say whether you can just kind of go out and become more experienced in general. But if, if you've lived long enough, you're going to be better at this. I think just in general, mm -hmm. once you're in your thirties, you're going to be, you're going to be more ready for shadow work in your thirties. Yeah. Uh, then you probably are going to be in your twenties in your twenties. You're probably still doing a lot of more kind of expansive extroverted exploring, um, and less sort of turning inward and kind of yeah. being like, 
you know, let's go on the inside, getting more introverted in some sense. Um, so, I mean, experience is one thing, but things that you could do now, let's say, is there's intellectual exploration of the shadow. You could, you could develop a shadow literacy by which mm-hmm. I mean, you could try to just understand what it is. Yeah. And there's plenty of literature out there. There's a Wikipedia article on the shadow. Look it up. What does it say? Uh, it's a good place to start. Develop a literacy, and then you can start to understand it. You can start to just instinctually recognize it um, in the world around you. You can you can start to see it in yourself, and you can, just, you can start to say, oh, that's my shadow. Like, mm-hmm. I see it now. I don't mm-hmm. see it fully, but I can kind of, I can kind of, I, I feel like this is my shadow. That's a start. You can start to see it in people around you. Like, oh, he has a serious shadow. I didn't have the words for it yet, but now that I've been reading about it, I actually have the literacy to say, oh, he has he has a serious shadow and this yeah. is what his shadow looks like. You can start to see the collective shadow and make sense of that in the sense that like the shadow, I would say at the collective level is an, any part of a system that isn't integrated into the system. Hmm. And so you can see that in society. You could say that homeless people are kind of part of society's shadow. They're not integrated mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. There's black markets. Uh, there's crime there's people that have been displaced and rejected by society like a lot of poor people um a lot of marginalized communities are kind of the shadow like they're not properly integrated into society which is why they're suffering so much so you can begin to see it everywhere and that's important but that's very intellectual right that's very high up and you need to start going deeper gradually and that means there's all kinds of modalities for this but you know you can start journaling you can start looking at your dreams. You could start playing mythological games with yourself yeah. of like, try turning your life into a fictional story. Mm. What was the great cataclysm that started your, your journey in life, you know, and you can make it up and that can actually be really powerful. And you can find that people have all kinds of interesting things that they come up with if they, if they operate in the mythological realm. Mm. Um, but you can start to go even deeper, <laughs> deeper than that. And like that involves like a lot of somatic shadow work, mm-hmm. a lot of embodied shadow work. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's things, um, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, is it TRL? TRE? TRE, there you go. Yeah. Um, where you, that's just, it's just one example, but it's a good example of how the body is actually, it's, it's retaining shadow content. And that's kind of like a weird idea is like, well, the, you mean like in the muscles? And it's like, yeah, actually mm. in the nervous system is like, there's trauma in your body. It's body not just this like, school. exactly, you know, and that's, that's a great book to read on, on this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but there's actually modalities that can help you release this trauma that you've been keeping in your body maybe for decades, Yeah, you know, and that stuff, uh, it kind of illustrates the sort of verticality of shadow work right? There's really high level stuff. Like, you know, you and I, we're doing high level shadow work right now. Mm-hmm. We're having a conversation. It's really, it's really up in the air. It's very abstract. Yeah. It's not really getting too much into the body, I would say. And you can go deeper and you can get into kind of more things like confession and venting and then journaling and, um, you know, things like the one, two, three process, mythological stuff, but then you go even deeper and you're getting into the body and you can keep pushing that depth, you know, and getting deeper and deeper into the, into that cave of the self. Um, and that is a little more advanced. That's the kind of stuff that you probably 
increasingly need help with from the outside. You need teachers, you need, you need some expert to work with as you get deeper in that verticality. Whereas the intellectual stuff, you know, there's no danger there. This conversation we're having, I don't think this is dangerous. And, you know, so that's, that's a way to approach it is there's a lot of information out there. There's all kinds of modalities. There's all kinds of theories. Hmm. There's all kinds of lineages from different traditions that stretch back thousands of years. You know, like Buddhism definitely has stuff to say about the shadow. Christianity Mm -hmm. has things about to say, say about the shadow. Mm -hmm. Um, and just start exploring. What I'm reminded of as you share that is the joy in discovering the mythological layers of shadow exploration that have been happening for millennia. Because even mm-hmm. though our culture is pretty good at distracting from it, that isn't true of all cultures. Many of them have been very, very good. Arguably, the healthier ones gravitated themselves around that process. And that's there for us. And I think that's what Jung opens up for us. And that's what Jordan Peterson is is trying to bring back into the culture and why it's resonating so much of, yeah, this long lineage of going all the way from Dante and back. And, and yeah, we're not alone in that process. I know it can feel overwhelming. It's really the human condition to yeah. grapple with these things. And it's what mm. we're designed for and what we've been doing for years already. So we're made for this process. And Absolutely. I like that you kind of spell out the, you know, the different layers because this kind of peer-to-peer online context we're talking about is, is pretty high-level work. And, yeah. and there's you build up to that. And you can work with therapists. You can work with Aaron. He's a coach or a listener as well, um, mm-hmm. something I'm starting to do as well. So people that can hold space for you to get started in a way that isn't quite as personal as some of the closer people in your life and you can build up that that tolerance and get experience and um maybe then the last thing that i wanted to ask you about is what about western psychological understanding of the shadow because it seems to be not grappled with i've talked to a few psychologists about it they kind of roll their eyes a little bit or they're like oh that that old trope or kind of like all the you know woo that wants to be snuck in under underneath that and yeah i wonder about that i, I feel as i'm more owning this idea of being a shadow worker working with shadow and really using that metaphor i'm accepting that then i'm going to be kind of cast out as some kind of you know, esoteric, out on the edge, mental health kind of a character. And it's like, well, all right, I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with that position. I tend to think that your kind of gold standard, scientifically approved CBT is maybe skirting around the edges of what's really going on. Not to say that it's not a powerful modality, but Mm -hmm. wouldn't we want to blend all this? And what metaphor are you guys using? Like that's more apt than that. Um, right, yeah. What, right. what are your thoughts and experiences with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to explore these patterns because what, what is the West, you know, what is mm. Western philosophy? What is Western psychology? Mm. Um, and you know, what, one way to be reductive about it, incredibly reductive about it is that the West has been very obsessed with consciousness and light and the ego and by which i mean things that you can see and touch and smell 
and things that are on the surface and things that you can prove. And, you know, science is excellent at solving a lot of problems in the world. Um, but the way that science operates is that it wants to be able to observe things. It wants to be able to say, look, we can see it. We see the pattern. We've documented it. That's how we know it exists. That's how we know it's real. That's how we know it's true. But the problem is that the unconscious is real. I don't think, mm -hmm. any, I don't think anyone would deny that. But the unconscious cannot be observed. Hmm. It just can't. It, you, you can't directly look at the unconscious and, you know, draw so it's it. unfalsifiable. Exactly. It's part of, and that's part of the issue is that because you can't see it by its definition, it's, it's unconscious, it's under the surface, you can't prove anything. And that's tough, right? And that's the part of the problem is because it's not a realm of exploration where you can prove anything, you can't falsify anything, you can smuggle in a lot of garbage. And people do, you know, and once you see that, you begin to distrust the the realm of the unconscious, the realm of the shadow, the mm. sort of lunar ways of knowing. You start to dismiss it as like, it's all superstition. That's just, you know, religious bullshit. Uh, it's woo. You know, there's truth to these accusations of like, well, that's just a bunch of BS. It's a bunch of superstition. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, some of that's there, but there's also all this rich reality under the surface that we can't see. Mm. And so what do we do? You know? Uh, and I would say the, the whole realm of philosophy, what, what distinguishes philosophy from science, I would say is that philosophy explores the questions that cannot be proven or falsified. Mm. And that doesn't mean you're just going to throw out philosophy and say, well, okay, what's well, all garbage metaphysics, like, no. right? Right. <laughs> you could call it metaphysics, yeah. but like, no, there's actually, there's actually a lot of reality here. In fact, I'd say there's more reality here than what science shows us, but the problem is you can't prove it and that's tough. And so the West has, the West has grown to be become what it is by relying on what you can see and what you can prove and what you can, uh, touch, you know, everything that's explicit and you can see that that's powerful and we've solved a lot of problems and technology is insane and medicine has, you know, done wonderful work. Um, but at the same time, you can see the, the side effects of that is that we're overly egoic. We, we think that the only thing that exists is the ego and the only thing that's real is what I think is real. And that, um, anything that kind of resembles, the unseen, the unspoken, uh, you know, the dark realm, hmm. it's not real. And that's, and that's a problem. Right. And so how do we grapple with that? It's like, well, we have to like actually do the dif difficult work of, you might even call it like collective shadow work, philosophical, hmm. intellectual shadow work, whatever of kind of sifting through the unseen and actually trying to find out what's real and what's not. And that's, a huge endeavor that everyone needs to participate in. Mm. So that's kind of how I view the West. The yes. West is light. You know, the East is a little more darkness. It's a little mm. more embracing the shadow. It says there's things you cannot see that are real. Uh, there is yin and yang. And yeah. what's the yin, you know, whereas the West is just like very literal, you might say. Yeah bright fluorescent lights in a laboratory. I, I had a, I had a really interesting, um, 
thought as as you were speaking. I really appreciated how you framed mm. that. The, um, you know, understanding the context of things. This is such an important part of shadow work. I feel of having compassion for the broader picture. For me, letting go of the idea of free will and understanding how deep and far back a lot of these you know, stories and trauma and narrative goes just helps make sense of what is and helps me hold it because there isn't a bad guy. It's just a sequence of events that we're working through. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the West as largely a reaction to stifling religious dogma and you understand, you know, the values of the Enlightenment were trying to free us in a lot of ways from that. Mm-hmm. then you can understand why still as that pendulum has swung, it's still fighting what it feels is like a fight to the death against anything that isn't empirical. So you mm-hmm. can have compassion for that. But then that's such a dangerous position, isn't it? Because yeah. as soon as you've labeled anything that we can't see and measure as unworthy, then you've set yourself up to not do shadow work it's a clever way to have to avoid those parts of yourselves you don't want to look at and you wonder how long can that keep going before that tin man collapses you you know and it's kind of i feel our role now in these communities in these contexts is integrative to be able to hold it all to be able to have the yin and the yang the rational and the intuitive and I would say that that's not an easy stance. And I would say that there's a lot of humility that has to be involved in this because you can't take the higher ground from this position. You have to include subjectivity. You have to include mystery and things that we can't prove. And so if you come too hard with that razor of logic and rationality, that's going to win in an, in, an, in an argument per se, in a debate, you know, unless well, it just is if you're in the world of Logos. That's kind of the, the the stronger force. So you have to have that yin ability to be able to flow with that and accept the other for that and almost take those hits and encapsulate them with a wider feminine kind of embrace. And that's that's pretty cosmic shamanic work. And for me, I'm, I'm really looking at like, all right, this is my life path, creating communities and contexts for psychotherapeutic shadow integration, which for me is directly equated to systems change and climate change advocacy. That's like the same thing for me now. But I've been considering getting trained as a psychologist, but oh man, six years of indoctrination, statistics and research to then be able to have the authority to just do the shadow work anyway. It's like... All right, I guess I'm walking a more, and that path is getting a little wider. There's more qualifications that look at that, but it's it's a it's a slow push. So, embodying that and having other brothers and sisters on that same path—that's what's something I really appreciate about you and Alyssa—is like you know, you guys you guys haven't left your mind at the door. You're definitely bringing that rationality to this, but you're also coming at it from that embodied sense. And uh, yeah, maybe I just want to finish my part invite you to reflect and conclude with some gratitude and some love for what you guys are doing and how you're showing up and how it's uh allowing me to feel more of myself and yeah you heard the enthusiasm and the excitement of me talking about the pods and the work like yeah i can see that you're in it and uh i'm grateful for that yeah thanks joe all that was really well said and uh yeah i'm grateful for you too and you know, you're doing good work. And uh, this has been my experience for the last year and a half. I mean, ever since the lockdown started uh, in March 2020 for California, at least, um, I've been opened up in, in meeting people on the internet 
people rushed online in some ways it's a strange blessing a silver lining of the pandemic is this kind of movement this exodus onto the internet and i've met a lot of great people and a lot of people who are uh approaching these ideas with sincerity and really want to do the work and really they have a shadow literacy they see both sides of the coin they see the white and the dark they have this kind of uh you know integral perspective or metamodern mm-hmm. perspective whatever terminology you want to throw at it mm-hmm. um not my strong suit the, the various <laughs> terminologies but um uh it gives me a lot of hope you know and um the stoa has given me a lot of hope uh it wasn't clear what it was going to become at first but it's uh it's demonstrated something powerful that i think is a serious shift and uh has serious implications for how the culture could grow and how shadow work could become widespread, how it could become cool. Yeah. And you could have this sort of hip thing that people do, which is why they do shadow work. Hey, me and my friends are going to get together and do shadow work. You want to come? Like, that could happen, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it, it, it fills me up with a lot of uh, feelings of, of joy and light, you might say. And uh, this conversation is a good example of that. Um, there's hope here. And, you know, what can we accomplish? What can we do? What can we build in this new world that's emerging? Yeah, because in the great depths of the sorrow and the pain of sitting with the difficulty of what comes up in in these shadow work spaces, then hold space for the joy and the raucous laughter of being able to look at ourselves and that kind of psychedelic sense of just how insanely crazy and magical and unfathomable everything is. And so... Yeah, holding those two things together, that, that lightness and the dark and the, the joy and the pain. And I guess if people are listening to this and they're feeling, you know, similarly energized in the way that we are, because I think this is going to become more and more pervasive, um, I encourage you to, you know, just get involved with, you come along to some of the Stoa sessions and get a sense for that energy we're talking about, the golden shadow, the events that are being held there. Uh, you can also reach out to me through my website. If you're interested in joining these kind of pods, I'll, I'll create a list. Um, the third book I'm planning to write is going to be uh, the little book of podding, which is going to explain this. And then I want to kind of launch a series of pods off the back of that. So yeah, you can be included, like uh, reach out and um, step into the digital waters. Come and hang out with the cool kids and do the shadow work and the sense-making web. But uh, Exactly. Beware. Yeah, there's uh, dragons be here. And that's that's the whole point, you know. Jung went off his rocker for five years, but um, came out with a best-selling book. So you too can succeed after a period of shadow work psychosis. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best sell is uh, re- read the red book and then you can be just like that. Definitely. Cool, Aaron. Really, really good to spend this time with you, man. Thanks for joining me. You too, Joe. It's been a pleasure. hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Show notes are available online at www.joelightfoot.org, where you can also find more information about my book, A Collective Blooming. Music by Johnny Eagle. Until next time, be well, my friends.